Hello, my name is Tim Schwartz, and welcome to the Life After Blindness podcast. This week, I'm joined by the host of the RNIB Connect radio and tech talk podcasts, Stephen Scott. This is episode number 17, and your Life After Blindness journey continues right now. Hello again, everyone. My name is Tim Schwartz, and I'd like to thank you so much for listening to Life After Blindness. This is the podcast where we are dedicated to the exploration of an enabled life with blindness. And this week, we truly take that motto to heart. This week, we're going to hear from a couple of gentlemen who will talk with us about losing their vision and how they've coped with that, how they've dealt with that, the types of things they've done in their life and in their careers to continue dealing with that. And as Stephen Scott, my guest later in the episode, will say, how do we move forward? We'll talk about moving forward in this episode today about dealing with vision loss. Now, as always, you can find the show notes to this episode by going to lifeafterblindness.com slash 17. That's lifeafterblindness.com slash 17. If you want to send me an email to ask me a question or offer up a comment about the podcast, send those emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. And if you want to connect with me on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Labcast. Now, like I said, this week we have a gentleman by the name of Mark who's going to share his story because of his blindness. My name is Mark, and because of my blindness, I am now a cane travel instructor, O&M specialist. I teach blind people skills on independent travel, how to travel independently. And uh, I never would have been able to thought of having this type of job when I was sighted. But because of my blindness, I have one of the most rewarding, fulfilling, empowering jobs on the planet. To me, I think so anyway, and that's helping teach people to learn, develop, and confidently travel anywhere they want to go. Anywhere. When I went blind, I thought my life was over. I thought, what am I going to do now? I can't even get to the damn store to get a cup of coffee. So I went to training. I went to a training center for nine months, took cane travel class, took independent living skills classes, cooking classes, technology classes, you know, the whole thing, and came out of there with a decent set of cane travel skills. I was by no way the best or fastest cane traveler, but I could get to the store. I could get to a doctor's appointment. I could meet somebody downtown at a restaurant or a bar. I could go to a function that I needed to go to here in the city. I could take the bus. I could take the light rail or a combination of both to get to where I needed to go. I've been able to take airline and Amtrak trains across the country and go to different cities. The skills are the same. Intersections and traffic patterns are the, patterns are the same wherever you go. Once you develop the skills and confidence, you can go. This is what I learned, and these are the skills I and confidence I try to help my students realize and develop and help them develop and encourage and support them 
and it is like one of the most rewarding jobs that I think I I could have ever had. And I smile every day when my students learn a new skill and and put this skill, that skill, this skill, that skill, and put all these different skills together, and all of a sudden they're just beaming. I can do this. I can do this. I can go to the store. I can go to a restaurant. I can take a bus. I'm not afraid to cross a lighted intersection and go to that, whatever it is, wherever it is, I can go wherever I have to. And teaching people to realize the power and freedom of independent cane travel is just so rewarding. I just can't say enough. So yeah, because of my blindness, I have one of the most rewarding jobs on the planet in my mind. Thank you for listening. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your Because of My Blindness story. You know, the thing I like the most about Mark's story is the passion that he shows for the career choice that he's made. Obviously, that's not going to be for everybody. The path that Mark took because of his blindness is what brought him to become an O&M instructor. And he's been able to find a way to educate others and give back to the community that gave him so much. And that's been his way of coping and dealing with his sight loss. And so that journey for him is what's helped him be enabled. It's what's helped him get by and keep moving forward. If you'd like to share your Because of My Blindness story, I'd love for you to send those in to me, preferably audio. But if you'd like to send it as a written email, that's fine too. We can read that here on the podcast. But if you'd like to send an audio file, you can do that on Vorail, the app Vorail, V-O-R-A-I-L, just like Mark did. Look for me under the username Tim the Enchanter. Or you can just record with any type of audio app, either on your phone or PC or Mac, and just attach that to an email. Send that email to tim at lifeafterblindness.com, and I will be sure to play your Because of My Blindness story right here on the podcast. Now, before we move on to my interview with Stephen Scott from RNIB, I want to take just a few moments to thank you guys for sending in your messages to me concerning the last few weeks. As you might have noticed, there was a missing episode or so of Life After Blindness, and I just want to take a moment to say thank you guys for sending in your questions and your concerns about why there wasn't any new content here in this last few weeks. There's been so much going on in the blind and visually impaired community. Uh, I've, I've been really sad to have missed sharing those things with you here on Life After Blindness. However, there's been a lot of things been going on here the last month in my life, and I just want to take a quick moment just to mention a few of those things. So first and foremost, unfortunately, I've had some health issues, so I've been going back and forth to the doctor quite a bit. Uh, dealing with those things, trying to get an understanding and a grasp as to what's going on with my health. Um, so I, you know, I appreciate everyone's concern there, but that has been part of what's been going on with me uh, this last month or so is just dealing with my health. Also, this year, my daughter just started kindergarten. You guys have heard her in a couple of episodes of Life After Blindness. And so she's just started this fall in kindergarten. So we had a lot of things going on there as well. So in between just some health things going on, we also had a lot of things going on with preparing her for school in kindergarten. And then add to that, 
there's been a couple other big developments going on with me. As some of you know, I've been co-hosting for quite a while now on the RNIB Tech Talk podcast out of the UK. I've been lucky enough to co-host on that show now for several months. And Stephen Scott and Sean Priest, the hosts of that show, have asked me to be a regular co-host going forward. And so that's been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed working with Stephen and Sean on that show. And so that being said, there became an opportunity where we could take that idea and the three of us with the chemistry that we have and move that into another show. Now, you'll be hearing a lot more about this in upcoming episodes of Life After Blindness, but what I can tell you now is that there's a new show that Stephen and Sean have started, and they've been gracious enough to ask me to come along for the ride uh, when I'm able to appear on the show, and that's a new show in Canada called Double Tap. It's an all-new tech show in Canada on AMI-audio, and uh, again, it's called Double Tap. And I've been helping them a little bit with working on getting that show started and premiering on AMI radio or AMI audio in Canada. And so that's been something else in between dealing with my health issues and everything else. I've been trying to help them with that kind of behind the scenes as well. So there's been so many things going on. I've been trying to get a grasp on my schedule in between my health issues and everything else going on that I believe I'm now back in a good place where I can continue to offer new episodes of Life After Blindness with new content, new interviews, and all the things you guys have come to expect from Life After Blindness going forward. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing you new great things going forward. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun together. So uh, be sure to keep checking back each and every week. Check your podcast app. Check the website, lifeafterblindness.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter for any kind of updates. And uh, yeah, we'll continue this journey together. Now, like I said before, we want to move forward and talk with Stephen Scott from the RNIB Tech Talk Show. He's going to talk with us about how he's dealt with and coped with his vision loss. Joining me for the interview this week is someone that many of you may know from RNIB Connect Radio. He does the Weekly Connect show there, as well as the RNIB Tech Talk show. That I have the great privilege to join him with each and every week, and he is Stephen Scott. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on Life After Blindness. My pleasure, Tim. Great to be here. So Stephen and I thought that it would be a great idea to talk about something that probably doesn't get talked about quite often, unfortunately, uh, something that we all deal with in our own way, whether you actually were blind since birth or even if you went uh, blind later on or were losing vision, we all have to go through some sort of uh, loss of that vision. Again, whether we were even born blind, you still have to go through a period of, you know, how do you handle that? How do you learn uh, to to do things in life with that. And 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 even in our situation where Stephen and I are losing vision later on, uh, it's it's a process for everybody and, and it can be very specific, yet at the same time very uh common in some ways. So Stephen, let's let's dive right in. I know that this is something that we both feel very passionate about is talking about how we deal with this. So talk to me about your story. How did you lose your vision? So I've had uh my eye condition since birth and I have the joy Tim of having four eye conditions yeah not just one I get four lucky you uh <laughs> yeah I'm so happy about that not um yeah basically I've got a condition called optic nerve hypoplasia which is where the optic nerve didn't develop properly and that could have actually meant a whole host of different problems 
But actually what it's done is it's left me with impaired vision. It could have been a lot worse, as I have heard many, many times. It could have caused me to have no hearing. It could have caused me paralysis. It could have been anything at all. Someone said to me, it's a bit like if you imagine, uh, you know, wires attached to a box and only four out of five of those wires being attached. The, f- the fifth wire that's unattached is your vision. And uh, that is basically what optic nerve hypoplasia is. Uh, so that's one. I've got nystagmus, which doctors don't really understand how that comes about, but often does happen in children and in, in babies. Uh, it's quite common. It does happen to people later in life, but... Uh, Thankfully for me, and and I say this in a kind of strange way, thankfully for me it happened as a child because from what I've learned about nystagmus, it comes to people later in life in a very different way. Uh, It can come with a a very different uh, experience of it in the sense, uh, and for those who don't know what nystagmus is, it's a, a continual movement of the eyes. The eyes continually dart from left to right at a speed of 70 miles an hour, I hear. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. And I don't notice it. That's the good bit. I don't notice it. Here's the bad bit if I get it later in life. There is a chance that I would notice it because for some reason, nystagmus, which comes later in life, means that people who have it instantly become aware of it. So this continual motion is felt by them. And that that feels that sounds horrific. But I don't know if that's because they've never had it, so they've, they're now experiencing it. Or is it because, because I've had it since birth I'm just used to it. I don't know. And the doctors don't know either. No one can explain this to me um, because they don't know. There's not enough research on it. So that's the second condition. And both of those combined are the bulk of my problems. The doctors don't know which one is the bigger problem because they can't cure either. Uh, So we kind of live on this basis that, well, you know, one of them is causing the big problem. Might be both of them. Who knows? Uh, But from my point of view, uh, what I can see is about five feet in front of me in all directions. I've got poor peripheral vision, that's fair. I do have poor peripheral vision, but I can see ahead of me and I can see the full picture. But up into about five feet, um, that is that is not much at all uh, that I can see. As And I say clearly, um, I can make out things in that space. Beyond five feet, it's complete blur. I just, you know, if someone was walking towards me from a long, up a long corridor, and they're walking towards me until they are pretty much standing ready to talk to me, I couldn't tell you who they were. Um, That's kind of where I am. And that has decreased over the past, or that that field has decreased uh, over the past few years. Um, Again, the doctors don't know why. I'm a miracle for all the wrong reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel that field has reduced about three feet, so not far at all. Um, And... On it goes. Third and fourth conditions, this third one is photophobia, which doesn't mean I'm terrified of photographs, although I do have an intrinsic fear of being in them. Um, (laughs) But aside that, uh, photophobia is actually a condition which means that when you're out in bright sunlight, it does cause your eyes to to water. And, uh, you know, people often say, oh, I can't cope in bright sunlight. I really can't cope in bright sunlight. So I wear sunglasses pretty much all the time. And in the past few years, along with what's been happening with my vision, uh, in terms of depth and field perception and, and, and distance, uh, I've noticed that the photophobia has got worse as well, which means that I'm wearing sunglasses more often even indoors. And the fourth condition is colour blindness. So uh, I don't have the classic black and white. Uh, I do get colour, but I just don't really understand what I'm looking at. And even when someone tells me a colour, 
I can't really place it. So I just think, okay, that must be what that colour is. Purples and blues are impossible to me. I don't really understand them. Some people have problems with red and greens. I can't do colours together. If two colours are sitting next to each other, I'll never see them. And interestingly, in our studio here, uh, that we have at uh, RNIB Connect Radio, there are loads and loads of buttons. And people often say to me, uh, technicians will say to me, because I'm a bit of the techie guy around here, and they'll say, is the button red or green? Uh, no idea. <laughs> no idea. Um, right. I couldn't tell you the difference. No, no, couldn't tell the difference at all. Um, so that's that's my uh, eyesight in uh, a nutshell. So now you said that the deterioration happened here over the last few years. So prior to that, then for the bulk of your life, was there really no change? It was pretty consistent. Fairly consistent. I mean, up until I was about nineteen, I was fine. I mean, I was getting around okay. I was taught white cane when I was at school. I got the long cane when I was uh, four, uh, no, not four, five or six years old at uh, at uh, elementary school. And it was, um, yeah, it was fine. You know, I, I thought, okay. I didn't use it very often because I thought I don't really need it. And I was always kind of one of those people who believed that. I, I, if I don't need it, I'm not going to use it. And then I was 19. I was walking down a main street in the town, the city I live in, which is called Glasgow in Scotland. And um, I was absolutely convinced I was walking along the road and everything in front of me was clear. The road ahead was the road I'd always walked. I'd walked this road maybe four times a week. And then all of a sudden, I crashed head on into a barrier. Oh, yeah. And I had no idea what I'd even walked into. Mm. And it was at that moment I realised that there was roadworks going on, which meant that the whole section of road had been blocked by this big metal barrier. And I just walked head head first into it. And when I spoke to the doctors about it, and I, I mean, you know, th- at that moment it was just embarrassment mainly, <laughs> if I'm well, honest. Sure, right. Um, it was like, oh, I can't believe I've just done that. And, you know, people think you're insane when you do things like that because you've no... There's nothing visual for them to say, oh, well, it's because he's blind or it's because he's visually impaired. There was nothing. I wasn't using a cane or anything. So I got very embarrassed about it. I felt quite low about it for a while because I didn't really understand what had happened. And I spoke to doctors who told me that it seemed as if there was a, a deterioration in my sight. But what was happening was my brain was putting the pictures in for me. So when I was walking down that street, I wasn't looking at the street. I was looking at what my brain thought it was looking at. It was it was adding context as mm. I was walking. And I have to say, that has continued through my life since then. People's faces from afar that I have an image of in my head, as soon as they come up close to me, I don't recognize them because I have in my head an image of what they might look like. But only when they stand in front of me up close, I think, oh, that's you. And it, it for a second, you have that momentary, wow, this is that person's not who I thought they were. And it changes everything about your, your image of them. Um, and that's been a bit ongoing since then. And, you know, at 19, I uh, went straight to actually going up, not from not for the white cane, but actually for a guide dog. And um, I, I'll be honest, the guide dog thing didn't work for me at that point. And I think partly because I was 19, I wanted to go <laughs> right, yeah. clubbing and do things, and a dog just kind of dragged me down. Um, and, you know, it just wasn't cool and hip, and my friends didn't get it and all of that. So I just thought, nah, stuff this, and, you know, gave the dog back and said, actually, I'd much rather this dog was with someone who could really benefit from having him. Uh, and that was what happened there. And I had a bit of a, I guess, I kind of bounce around after that. I jumped between having the cane, not having the cane, through my 20s and into my 30s, and then. I got to about 33 
I'm 36 now, and I got to about 33 and thought, I, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I think I'm putting an act on for people. And who am I, who's benefiting from this act that I'm performing every day? Because it ain't me. I'm the one that's struggling here. I'm the one that can't, you know, figure out if I'm walking down a set of stairs properly, where the, where the curb is, you know, all this stuff that was happening in my life that was making me think all the time about my sight. I just felt like, in some ways, I was putting on a performance no one was gaining from, and I had to do something about it. And I think it was at that stage that I thought to myself that this was almost like losing my vision again. All over again, yeah. And it was such a strange emotion to go through because the amount of people through my life that have said to me, well, you know, you must be used to your sight by now. You must be used to having poor sight. I mean, you've lived with it since day one, so it's, you know, it's the same. It's the same every day. But the reality is it's not the same every day. Quite the opposite, actually. It's Some days can be very different to others. I mean, yesterday, I had a really good day, and I was able to use my computer without the screen reader. Today, I needed the screen reader. And that's that's bizarre to me. And I'm sure that can be very disorienting when you do get used to it maybe for a day or so, and then all of a sudden, here's this change that you have to get used to all over again. You're relearning almost every day or every other day trying to figure out or decipher what will I see today and how will I handle that today? And I'm sure those constant transitions, not just your major transitions like you had at 19 and and again in your 30s and, and going on, just the, the difference of sight transitions, but then that kind of disorienting transition, I'm sure, is very difficult. It is disorientating and uh, it makes you lose confidence in yourself. It makes you lose confidence in a lot of things, actually. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly confident, outgoing, independent person, and I always have been. And even I've found that in the past couple of years, I've tended to avoid going out as much because I don't feel comfortable in big crowds. I don't enjoy, for example, being out in uh, environments with lots of people, say, at dinner. You know, if you go to dinner with maybe six or seven people or, or eight people, say, as I did recently, I just couldn't enjoy it. I had no idea who was talking to me where the voices were coming from. Um, if people were talking to me, I couldn't see them. So therefore, I couldn't really engage in the conversation because I didn't know which point I could insert myself into the, the chat. Um, so instantly things start to change and, and your life changes around it. And you end up stopping doing things because you do, you, you, you lose that confidence, you lose that comfort. Um, and it's strange because I've nothing really has changed. This is the thing. You know, professionally, um, medically, I should perhaps say, um, nothing has changed. My sight really hasn't altered. I haven't got a new condition. It's just that my own conditions seem to have this movement and this constant shift and change and pattern that means I'm constantly having to relearn things around me. And it's pushing me to learn things like JAWS and, you know, use more technology and assistive technology. Um, I mean, I bought, a, I bought a magnifier the other week, for goodness sake. And I've never bought a magnifier in my <laughs> life. And I bought a magnifier because I thought right. I actually can't even see my iPhone anymore. And there's sometimes you just quickly need access to information that voiceover might not be able to get you to in time. And I just think, well, I'll just have that. I would never have done that before. Hmm. But it's just part of that constant change and those transitions that you're talking about with your particular visions and your particular eye, di eye diseases. Sounds like in that 
in your particular case, you are having to almost relearn every day. And, and I do want to take a step back there to talk about that because you mentioned at age 19, you were a little bit down about the whole situation, maybe even, you know, maybe some depression there. And as you went on, as you talked about the other transitions that you've had to, to have, and even though it's been constant, yet there's been those those changes. And I know that we don't always deal with it all the time, 100%. That, that's impossible. How have you been able to deal with those parts of your life where you've had different vision or different loss of vision as that's occurred and, and keeping yourself from getting so depressed where maybe you just want to give up? It is difficult because you, you try and keep, you know, keep positive as much as you can. It's also very difficult with friends and family because they don't know how to react to this. My mother is quite a straightforward person and she she only understands what she was told by the doctor 30 odd years ago. And she keeps telling me, well, there can't be any change in your vision because the doctor said that wouldn't happen. And you have to remind constantly that yes, there can be difficulties. Right. But you're also, you're also aware though that they're coming to terms with it at the same time. They're struggling with this because they're used to seeing their son being this, you know, forward thinking, you know, go for it type guy. And suddenly he's wearing glasses and sitting with a cane or he's being, or, or he's using assistance. And that, that's quite odd for them to see. And, you know, it's, it's easier, I guess, maybe easy is the wrong word. And I, that probably sounds a bit flippant. I don't mean it that way. But I think if you lose sight in life, if you go through the process of losing your vision, people understand that transition. They might not like it, they might not fully get it, but they understand the basic premise. You had vision, you've lost your vision, it's gone. They, they understand the loss, but what they don't understand is the change. People generally see eyesight conditions from birth, especially as just, well, that happened to you at birth, so that's the way it is through to, through to death. But actually, what people don't understand is the change that occurs within. And it's the change that occurs within that causes all the problems. So you have to, and I don't know if this is just me, and I, I play this game a lot, is it just me? <laughs> um, but I wonder at times about this because I go through this this constant, um, this constant questioning of what I'm doing. And I'll give you an example of this. And it, it came up because of a conversation. Um, I started using the white cane and the local bus driver who, you know, must have picked me up all the time, must have been the same guy. I didn't notice, but it must have been the same guy all the time. And I got on, and here in Scotland, we have this travel card. So I don't know what it's like with you guys, but, you know, with, with, there's a travel card system in Scotland. You have a little card, it says your name on it. It's got a picture of you, Scottish flag, and it's got a, a little C uh, and, and an I. I. I can't actually tell you what's on the card, but that's what I'm told is on it. <laughs> okay. So I hope I'm right. Yeah, very similar uh, but it's, here, yeah. I think yeah, it's got it's got an eye on it, and it's got a C around it, and the C is for companion. You can take someone with you. How kind of them, um, because you know, <laughs> dare we do anything ourselves? Right. Um, so, I got on the bus and I was using my cane for the first time, and the driver said to me, "Oh, that's interesting." He says, "Are you trying to get more money out of the government?" Oh my goodness! And I stopped. And I, Sorry, what? And he said, "You." We weren't using that white cane yesterday. And I don't know if it's that, but it's interesting. That happened to me a long time ago, and that always sticks in my mind. And I don't know if that's been a catalyst for me going forward. But I often feel like I'm playing this game that I'm trying to... And I mentioned earlier about playing a game, playing this this performance, this act. Who is it for? 
Um, is it for people like him who just don't believe that, you know, you need a cane one day, you don't need it the next? And I can, I try to look at it from their point of view. I think, okay, if that was me sitting there, I'd think, well, hang on a minute. You know, why do, why do you need it one day, not the next? Uh, and I suppose that is a fair question. But it's the it's the accusation that comes with it that you're having a laugh or you're you're making up so that you can get more benefits or whatever it might be, which is utter nonsense in my case certainly, um, because there are no benefits when you use your white cane. You just end up with a white cane. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's not like I get more money out of it. We get nothing out of it. Um, just a lot of horrible looks and and horrible comments. Um, so for him and for that going forward, I just felt I had to perhaps almost play a part. Um, and I think that's partly how I coped, I guess, because when I put on the sunglasses and I have my white cane, everyone treats me like I'm a blind person, completely blind person. I say everyone. I mean, people I meet in the street, people who want to help, assistance, all of that. It, you, you are blind in their world. And I often feel like if I was to take my sunglasses off and put my my reading glasses on if you like or my normal glasses on people would say ah caught you fraud uh you know and you just it's very frustrating i mean it, there is that phrase isn't there hell is other people mm-hmm. um and i tend to go with that <laughs> to some degree because i think if the world understood it a bit more if people were a bit more gentle about it then then we would maybe get on better but i think there's there's so many assumptions around there and and also there are so many people who want to ask us questions all the time and feel that because we're visually impaired and we have a dog or a cane, that, and, and because we interact with the public, I think, because we do need their help sometimes or you know, we, we ask for their assistance, that they feel it's therefore the payback is that, well, I can ask you a million questions about your life, however inappropriate. A friend of mine was once asked the question, uh, how do you have sex? I mean, honest to God, how do I have sex? The oh, same yeah. way you do in the dark. Right. Um, I'd hope. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't have assistance in that department, and if I did, I wouldn't want to think what it was like. <laughs> um, it's just, it's bizarre. So you have this constant battle, in my mind anyway, and I can only speak for myself. And I, I said to you when we were doing this, I wanted to talk about me because I can only talk about my opinion, I can only talk from my point of view, but also because all of our experiences of sight loss or having a sight condition are so unique to us there's not one or two that are the same. We're all different. And for me anyway, um, I find being partially sighted a real challenge. Um, And interestingly, I interviewed a woman a couple of months back and she said to me that she'd gone through uh, sight loss and she, she was partially sighted for quite a while and then she lost all of her sight. And she said, I described my life in these words. When I was sighted, I was happy. When I was partially sighted, I was sad. And when I lost all of my vision and I became completely blind, I was happy again. And I found that quite a remarkable statement to make. And she said it's because when you're partially sighted, you're not part of a community. There is no community of partially sighted people. There's a community of blind people. And blind people often consider partially sighted people, I don't know if they think we're lucky or (laughs) what they think, but I think some people think, well, at least you've got something. So you're not part of this world. So there are people, I think, like me, and I know it because I've met some of them, who say, well, we just have to get on. We just have to 
do our own thing. We're left to our own devices because we don't fit in either camp. We're not sighted. We're not blind. We're stuck in the middle. And that is not to say that I want to lose my sight tomorrow because I don't. What I've got, I will live with and I will get on with. And I don't ever want to lose my vision. If I did lose my vision, I'd probably be more prepared to cope with it than most because of the experiences I've had and because I do this job and I speak to so many blind people who have lost all of their vision. So I don't fear sight loss in the same way others might. But I, do, I wouldn't wish it on myself. And I just think that, that the world needs to, I think, learn and educate, listen to conversations like these, realize, first of all, we are real people with real emotions and that we can do more than they think we can. And don't pigeonhole us. We're all different. Because if we were to turn around and say, for example, on this program, that all women were the same, how many emails would you get? Oh, too many. <laughs> yes. You know, it'd be all women right. are the same. I mean, I met a woman, uh, she was horrible to me, so all women are, are awful. You can't say that because it's just nonsense. No. It doesn't mean anything. So why is it when someone meets a blind person and the blind person's particularly rude to them that suddenly all blind people are awful? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I've often said in conversations... This is a great way to do it. If, you, if you're sighted and you're listening to this, great piece of advice. Anytime you have a conversation where you say, wow, that blind person is so inspirational. If you ever hear someone say that phrase or that sentence, replace the word blind with black or woman and then say it again. And would it be appropriate? And ask yourself, how inoffensive, how offensive is that? Yes, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, there are so many aspects to this. And, you know, you've got me in a rant, so I'm off now. But <laughs> <laughs> No, that's quite all right. You're, you're, you're on a roll. Good. I just, I, I have such a passion about this because it's my life. I live it. And I just, I believe that the world is, is a really great place. I, I genuinely believe that. The world is a good place full of good people. I have met, I was on holiday in London very recently. And I met some amazing people. I, you know, felt great support all the way. People who were helpful. So I don't, I don't have a downer on the world at all. I mean, some people who, who think like me do, and I get that. Perhaps that's their experience. But I've experienced the badness and the goodness. But I've certainly experienced more good than bad. And um, I think that's an important takeaway for me. Um, but I think that ultimately what's happening here is that with all of this and everything I've talked about, it all starts from what's going on inside my head. It doesn't always start from what's happening outside. And this is where it comes down to the coping part of the question that you asked me. How do we cope? How do I cope? Um, I cope because I have to. Um, I cope because it was instilled in me from birth that I'm no different from anyone else and that I should do as much as anyone else because I had wonderful parents. I have wonderful parents who've always pushed me to that and I'm very lucky for that. Not a lot of people have had that opportunity in their lives. I've had the opportunity to do great things with my job and I've met some great people. And I think when you when you live in a world where you talk to so many people around you, I'm not a fan of the word inspiration. People who know me well know that. I don't like the word inspiration because I don't know what is inspiring about me, um, certainly because of my sight condition. You can argue that I could think you're inspiring because I think you do a great show and I think your podcast is amazing, but I don't think it's because you're blind. What, what does it matter if you're blind or partially sighted? What difference does that make? Sure. Um, because equally, you could be blind and do a horrible podcast. Yeah, the skills are there and they're be, not there, right? Yeah, you know. So it's a very difficult 
one, but I think it starts from your head and you have to try and manage those emotions. And it is difficult. And it's difficult because every day you're facing your own challenge. You don't know what you're waking up to in the morning. You don't know if you're going to wake up and you're going to be able to see the, the phone or to read the messages you've got or whether you can even use your computer. These are the challenges I face. And I get on with it because I have to, because I have to work and I, have, and I want to work and I want to get out there and do things. But I also cope because I've got great people around me. And I think that's the key. If I didn't have that, I would be concerned, I think, because I don't know. There are times when you... I wouldn't say I've ever gotten depressed. I think depression is a very um, subjective word. And I think depression depression is a very real thing. And, you know, I've never had it, I don't think. And I'm lucky in that respect. Uh, I know people who have lived through depression and I've seen it. And it's it's not what I've ever experienced. And I'm glad about that. But again, I think it's because the one positive I can pull is out of all of it is that I've had this condition since birth. So I've had a long time to get used to having sight problems. But the one thing I haven't got used to yet is living with sight loss problems. And I think that's a very important point to make, Stephen. And a lot of the things you talk about, as individual as they might be, they also can also speak to many people in a common way. Because even though our disabilities and the way we've lost vision, our vision loss might be different, we do go through very similar things, like you were talking about interacting with other people and things that people say and how we deal with using a computer or using other other tech and things like that. And so I think there is a, a bigger overall uh, experience that we all share with that in vision loss. And even though our stories are individual, even though the things that we go through might be quite different, at the same time, they can be very much the same. And so I think you've spoken well to that. And, uh, you know, like the lady you said you interviewed with that remarkable statement about, you know, being, you know, with vision and then vision loss and then totally blind. I, I understand that statement. I really do. Because when you are in the middle, other blind people may not even understand if they were, especially if they were blind since birth or totally blind. And sighted people definitely have an issue with that because they don't understand to, to a lot of sighted people, it's either black or white. You either had vision or you don't. And that middle ground is very difficult to understand yourself, let alone having somebody sighted understand it. So, so I think that that really paints a nice picture to say in your case, in your experiences, you know, this is what I've gone through. It might be similar to someone else or not, but this is what I've gone through. This is how I've handled it. And I, I think one of the most important things you said uh, there at the end was you not only have had your own perspective since birth, but you've had a good support system. You've had people around you to help you to be there and, and, and you know, really support you through all this and through these transitions. And I think that's very important is surrounding yourself with people that are going to be able to be there for you and, and help you through things. Do you know, the, the one thing for me that has made a real difference in my life, um, in my case, was, was joining RNIB. And, and I was one of those people uh, who was never really into the idea of working for an organization for blind people or by blind people or whatever the organization wants to call itself. I just, I just wasn't into that because I thought, mm, if I do that, am I, am I then putting myself in a position where that's all I'm seen as? It's a bit like being, you know, um, the blind guy in a film or the blind guy in a TV <laughs> show or the blind guy. It's always the blind guy, you know? It's always right, the blind the token guy. blind guy, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And you're like, oh, really? But I think, actually, 
10 years on, as I am now within RNIB, and, and that says it all, actually, um, been here 10 years, I probably didn't realise when I started with the organisation just how much it would impact on me as a person. Being around other blind and partially sighted people, friends, colleagues that have made uh, you know, such a difference to me in listening to their stories, learning about their lives, and also just having someone else who says, I get it. And then not only that, doing the show, doing Tech Talk and the Weekly Connect, which is all about talking to people um, around sight loss and, you know, Tech Talk's obviously just you, me and Sean having a bit of a, a rant about whatever right. techie-based stuff. Uh, you know, that's, that's great. And, and what it's done is it's made me feel in a lot of ways far more comfortable with my sight loss than, uh, than I probably ever was. Um, you know, and... and I guess my takeaway from that and my advice to anyone is, you know, don't disregard the blind community. Don't disregard. It's very easy to do it. You know, I did it for years and I thought, you know, I don't want to associate because that's not me. That's not who I am. But actually, when it gets down to it, and this is the hard thing for a lot of people to say, but I'm at the point I can say it, which is I am like that. This is who I am. I've got a sight loss condition. Um... It's severe enough that it means that I have to be um, using assistive tech, for example, and I have to be using a white cane and consider a dog and all of that stuff. And all those individual challenges are made so much easier when you can turn around to someone and say, what's it like? Or tell someone how you're feeling and they go, yeah, I I get that. And you know they do. You know they do. And I think that's what helps us. I I don't know if that helps the wider community. I don't know if that helps sighted people. Um, maybe it does, I don't know, but I, I just, I think that's the next step, isn't it? It's how do we talk? I mean, I've often tried to be as nice as possible. Someone offers me help across the road. You know that thing when you're standing on the road and people think you want to cross. So they come up to you and they say, hello, do you, do you want me to help you cross the road? And you no, no, it's okay, thanks. I've always tried to be nice about it because I think that person, like we said earlier, you know, you meet a blind person and they're not nice to you and then suddenly they hate every blind person that goes forward which is utter, utterly ridiculous. It is, yes. Um, but it happens. And I think we want the the world out there to understand us. We all do. And that's fair. But we've got to give something back, don't we? I mean, we've got to say, okay, right, you don't get this. Um, let me help you. Let me talk to you about it. Let me just explain my life a bit to you as much as I can. I don't mean we stop people in the street and we take our lives up by, you know, explaining to the world our problems. But if we get into a conversation with someone, then it's probably a little bit incumbent on us to to talk about that. Because I think it's important for other people to understand. And they'll never understand if they don't speak to us and if they don't realise that we're human like everybody else. I mean, it's very difficult with a white cane because I think we all look like, I mean... I think we look like robots going down the street with these these uh, white canes sometimes. And right, that must yeah. be off-putting to people, you know? I think people must be, look I'm at sure. that and think, wow. Whereas if you've got a dog, incidentally, this is the other side of it, if you've got a dog, people are always more keen to come up and talk to you because, you know, a dog is nice and friendly and people do walk dogs and it looks normal in their world. Um, I had a laugh when we were talking. I think we talked about this on the show, on Tech Talk, about the eSight glasses. And I said... The one thing about wearing these big glasses, these huge, big, almost like virtual reality headset type glasses in your head, is what do people think when they see you walking down the street with these on? Because do they make you do they make do they make people want to come up and say hello to you? I don't know if they do. Um, 
So, you know, technology's got a long way to go on that front to make them look good. And I think that's the next step, isn't it? We've got to get our tech or our blind tech to kind of fit into the world a bit more. It's important that we reach into the world and, and we we can't expect the world to completely bend to what we want. We would all want that. Of course, I want that. I want the world to get about sight conditions and all the rest. But here's one question I've asked of a lot of blind people, and some of them, smartly, have had the answer to this. Some haven't. More haven't than not, or have, I should say. And that is, okay, so you want the world to understand about sight loss? Yes. What do you know about spina bifida? What do you know about deafness? You know, if we want the world to accept us, isn't it incumbent upon us to understand about everyone else? We can't push that too far. So I think it's it's about chilling out a bit and saying, look, the world isn't going to get it right 100%. We're not going to get it right 100%. We're going to make mistakes. We're only human. But so are they. And the more we talk like this the more we connect with each other, the more we get out there in the community as much as we can and, and shake off those shackles of fear as, as I've had over the past few years and I've now shaken it off and said, stuff it, I'm going back outside, I have to. That's what changes attitudes, that's what changes society. It won't happen overnight and it won't happen everywhere within the next 50 years, but we will move forward a bit. And that's all we can do. That's all I do in my life is try and just continue to move forward. Very well said. And I think that's very good and appropriate advice because it is a process. It begins with accepting our role in it, accepting, as you talked about earlier, our vision loss. And then from acceptance to education, like you just talked about, where once we understand it and we accept it, then we can take the next step in our role to educate others. And I completely agree with what you just said about educating ourselves. I think that that's a whole nother conversation that we could have about how we educate and when should we educate and how that process should go and what it should look like. I have a lot of opinions as I'm, as I know that you do as well about how that can go uh, and, and how educating ourselves about disabilities in general uh, should be more, you know, more common, but, um, but no, I, I agree with you completely. The, there's a process there and, you know, st- starting with the education of ourselves and the education of other people, uh, whenever able and necessary, I think, I think is a very good thing. And as you said, moving forward, just taking that next step every single day and moving forward. I mean, one thing I've done just on that point is, um, I remember, I, I, you know, I, I sometimes I'm aware, I'm very aware of other people, and I think that's partly my problem. I try and turn it to my advantage, and I've done that more recently. Uh, I remember I was sitting on a train, and I can't always tell if people are looking at me. I have to tell you this, Tim, I'm a terrible people watcher. <laughs> and I sit and watch people. Now, the joke is, I can't see if they're looking at me. So I potentially could get myself into all kinds of trouble. But I just am unaware of it. So, you know, no one, I wouldn't know if someone's staring back at me, which is a problem. But I've done it for a long time, so I've kind of got stuck in this world. And I was aware of someone sitting across from me on a train. Uh, so you imagine the scene. You've got four chairs, if you like, uh, facing each or two facing each other. So you've got two uh, facing two. You've got a table in the middle. And I'm on the train, and I'm using my iPhone. And I've got my iPhone out, and I've got a Bluetooth keyboard. The iPhone is plugged in with a plug socket in the train so I'm charging up the phone I've got my little uh, my iPhone's looks as if it's switched off it's got the screen curtain on with voiceover running 
uh, which means that the, the phone's actually working fully, but the screen's effectively turned off or there's a curtain over it. And I've got my little Bluetooth keyboard and I've got my earphone in. So I'm working away and I'm getting through my emails and all of that, but I'm very aware there's two people across from me who are sort of pointing and whispering to each other and thinking, this poor blind guy doesn't realise that his iPhone's not even switched on. Um, or they're saying, look at this guy, you know, he's typing on a computer, someone's nicked his screen. Um, and I thought, and I, I was aware of this, but I, I didn't know what they were thinking. So I thought, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask the question. So I said, um, I bet you guys are wondering what I'm doing here. And they both said, actually, yes, we are, but we were terrified to ask. Oh, wow. And thus ensued a huge conversation, which was brilliant. And, and for them, they were software guys, right? They made, wrote software. And they were fascinated by what I was doing. And I explained to them, I said, well, basically, I'm using a phone. Uh, I'm using an iPhone. I said, but the iPhone's got software built into it called VoiceOver. And it does this, that, and the next thing. And I explained what VoiceOver does. And, you know, you can touch the phone and the phone speaks. And, wow, okay. And the first thing, the first question I got was, oh, is that just on your iPhone? And I said, no, it's on yours. I said, pull out your iPhone. And we turned on VoiceOver on his iPhone, and, and he was completely blown away. <laughs> I bet. And I said, you know, think about it from this point of view. I said, sight loss doesn't just come to me. It can come to anybody. I said, and I, I don't wish it on you. I said, but if a day was to come where you lost your sight, you would still be able to use that device because of that software. And he was completely completely blown away by that. He said, so if I lost my sight tomorrow, I could use this phone. I said, yes, take a bit of retraining, but you would be able to do it. And he was amazed. He said, I can still use the same kit. And then we talked about why I was using the Bluetooth keyboard and why I had my earphone in. And as soon as he realized it, he said, you know something? He said, that actually sounds like a great way of working. And he really liked this idea. And he said, I'm going to try this because he said, one thing that really annoys me is staring at a screen all the time. He says, my thumbs get sore trying to type emails. He said, I love the Bluetooth keyboard idea, but he said, just being able to listen rather than look, I can just chill out with my music on or just sit watching Netflix, you know, with subtitles in his case. He would just sit and watch that while typing his emails. He said, this is great. He says, you've changed my life. And <laughs> he was going to try all this stuff. And what wow. I said to him was, I said, you know, the great thing about it is that this software is on every iPhone, but it's not, you know, you don't, it's not like there's a special pin code that you get when you're blind that activates all of this software and you can only get it if you're blind. Everyone can get it. It's there for you. And I, I talked to him a little bit and I've, I've talked to other people about audio description and someone was saying to me, oh, that's, that's interesting. We we're chatting about the benefits of audio description and how to use it and all of that. And I said to this person, you know, it's interesting. I said, do you like Netflix? Yes, yes. And what are you watching on Netflix? And they said they were watching House of Cards, say it was. And I said, oh, I love House of Cards. And they said, so you watch that? And I said, yeah, but I watch it with audio description. And she said, oh, that's, that's really amazing. And she couldn't really grasp what I was talking about. So I played a bit of it for her on the phone. I spend a lot of time on trains. And um, I played a bit of the, the Netflix House of Cards series with audio description on, and she was quite fascinated by it. And then I said to her, you could use that. She said, oh, but why would I use it? And I said, well, do you like, do, do you do any sports? Do you do anything? Oh, yes, yeah. she says, I go running all the time. And I said, well, don't you know that you could catch up with House of Cards in your ear with the audio description turned on, but, you know, you can be running at the same time. You don't have to watch the screen because it's all audible. And again, she was like, oh, my God, that I could do that. That would be incredible. 
And I said the point being that audio description is not just for blind and partially sighted people. If we get to a point in society where all of this accessibility can be turned to everybody, then we all win. That's the point. Well, I completely agree. I think that there's an opportunity there, especially with technology today, where there can be a broader use for these technologies for voiceover. Uh, like you said, for the software guy and for audio description. When I had Joel Schneider on, he's the uh, president of the Audio Description Project through ACB here in the States. And he said a very similar thing that, you know, somebody who is working in the kitchen or working in their garage or they're, they're, they're out running, like you said, they could turn on the audio description and still enjoy it just as anybody else could. And that's the goal of, of what they work with there at the Audio Description Project is to get it that widespread. So absolutely, I think there's an opportunity with tech that would enable us, uh, not just as blind people, but as just people to be able to interact in, in those similar ways. I think it is tech, but what tech does, and it's not just about technology, but actually what, what that technology is doing is it's helping to change an attitude. It's exactly. telling people that we are capable as much as they are. We just do things a little bit differently. But hey, you can join in the fun as well. No, absolutely. I think that's quite right that it, it shouldn't just be something that's stereotyped to blind people. And like you said, yeah, absolutely. They could use it. My, my daughter is actually taken to listening to audio description on the Apple TV because she knows it helps daddy. And so she always wants to make sure if a show has description and if it's on, she wants to make sure that it, it's available and, and on for me to utilize. And she has gotten to the point where she'll be playing. She'll be playing with her toys or whatever and have the audio description on. And my wife is there too. And she'll listen to her Disney and Nickelodeon shows and has the description on and it doesn't bother her at all. And, and so she could be doing something else even at five years old and still is knowing what's going on with the show. And so it's just interesting that because of me, she has adopted that. And I don't think she even realizes what she's doing in, in that case. So, so no, I, I think that that's, that's absolutely true is, is what the technology does for us. So, Stephen, I know that we could talk about these things all day, especially technology and especially Apple. I'm afraid if we go on more and more about Apple and become uh, the fanboys that we are here, you know, fl uh, run our, our fanboy flags high, that uh, I might get some some Android hater emails. Uh, so, so we <laughs> yeah, might want to cut my it off. Hater emails for a while, yeah. Why yeah, not? yeah. So we may we want to cut that short there before we uh, get ourselves into <laughs> trouble with the Android users out there uh, that are listening. But I do want to thank you so much for coming on because I do agree this is a very important conversation to be had. I don't even think this. Is the end of this conversation. This is something that we could definitely go on and on about talking about different aspects of this and dealing with vision loss and how that happens and how technology comes into it, how uh, working with other people comes into it and support and all those kind of things. So it's a, it's a very big topic that, uh, that I know we could spend a lot of time on, but I thank you so much for coming on and talking with me about it. Stephen, I know it's something you're very passionate about and, uh, and I'm sure my listeners uh, will definitely uh, get something very positive out of this. So thank you so much for coming on. No, my pleasure. Thank you, Tim. Now, Stephen, before I let you go, if anybody does want to get in contact with you or get more information about what you do, uh, tell me just a little bit how they can do that. Oh, just search for it online. Do you know, honestly, it's the easiest thing in the world to find. Uh, search for The Weekly Connect or Tech Talk. Uh, you can get that on Audio Boom, iTunes, basically anywhere you get good podcasts uh, and bad podcasts as well, for that matter. Uh, you can find the shows there. You can get it on the RNIB Connect Radio website, which, if you're searching for it, is rnibconnectradio.org.uk. And we'll look forward to uh, having you back on, Tim. Absolutely. I always look forward to it. I always have a great time with you and Sean there at Tech Talk. So I'm always glad to be a part of that. All right. Well, Stephen, thanks you so much again. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tim.
That wraps up episode number 17 of the Life After Blindness podcast. I'd like to thank all of you so very much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. As always, you can find the show notes by going to lifeafterblindness.com slash 17. And please do send your emails to tim at lifeafterblindness.com. Be sure to join me again next week as together we continue our journey to find that there truly can be a life after blindness. Take care, everybody. 